Hi, this is Graham Brown and welcome to the Excel Podcast. The Excel Podcast is a platform for the bigger conversations about leadership in the 2020s. Who's leading? How are they leading? And what stories do they have to share? Through the stories of leaders, we'll address the big challenges of our times from the era of AI to the Asian century to nurturing a new generation of entrepreneurs. If you're enjoying these conversations, subscribe to the podcast at xlpodcast.org. Hey everybody, this is the Excel Podcast. Welcome to a new episode. My name is Graham Brown. Now, Excel is all about leadership and that comes in many different forms. It's what is leadership, but also how is the world for leaders changing? A big part of that is obviously work. How is the world of work changing for leaders? Everything from working in remote teams to how do I, as a leader, be a better leader? All the way down to, you know, how do I find the kind of work that I really want to do? These are the kind of questions people are asking now. There's a lot of change, as you know, in the last couple of years. We've been disrupted. There's a lot of transformation. Things are happening at speed. So it's easy to get left behind. So we need people to help us understand what's going on in the world of leadership and people, importantly, whether that's leading people, managing people or hiring people. It all comes down to people at the end of the day. So let's bring in an expert in the world of people. I'm joined by Lorraine Chang from Ascension Associates. Lorraine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Graham. Thanks for having me. Joining us from Hong Kong. You're Hong Kong born and bred. What's the story there? Yep, Hong Kong is through and through. Surprise quite a number of people whenever I meet new guys. I don't know why. <laughs> we like yeah. surprises. Yeah, so anyway. I know your background. You Part of what you do, a big part of what you do is headhunting, but it's not all of what you do. How would you describe yourself if I was to ask you that cocktail party question? Yeah. You know, what do you do? How do you describe yourself? Oh, nowadays I'm just like straight into that 20 seconds <laughs> opener. Oh, I'm a three in one. I'm a facilitator, coach, and a headhunter. Mm, so yeah. I do three things all at the same time. It's interesting, isn't it? That world of hiring yeah. and headhunting has kind of evolved that you're not just placing people anymore. We'll talk yeah. about this. Obviously, the skills that you need yeah. mean that not only are you placing people, you're almost having to coach people and also potential hirers as well, like advising them on strategy when it comes to hiring, because it's no longer yeah. simply putting, as they say in the old world, bums on seats. You know, now you have to think about what actually people want, strategy, skills even as well. So all of that's changing. And it seems that with that, the headhunters have to evolve as well. So maybe we can talk, Lorraine, about some of the trends at the moment that are happening from your perspective, from your vantage point based in Hong Kong, but you see across a very wide region, all of Asia and beyond as well. So people are moving. I'll give you an example. I have uh, friends just this week. One, one is moving from Hong Kong to Dubai, a country manager. And then one is moving from Dubai to Singapore. So I'm waiting for another one to move from Singapore to Dubai to make to, to Hong Kong to make the full circuit. There's a lot of movement right now. There seems yeah. to be, you know, three, four years ago, people wouldn't be making these decisions. It seems like the inertia is gone. People are asking different kinds of questions. What are you seeing? What kind of conversations are happening right now with top level talent? 
Um, at the top level talent, um, <clears throat> I have to kind of like be specific in here because I don't work with all sorts of industries in the entire world. So I particularly focus um, quite a lot on um, financial services, in particular, mm. actually with insurance. Um, a lot of actually top level talents these days, um, they still want upward mobility. They still want to have a job that could actually give them more purpose, that actually they come in to make an impact and not just, you know, another like paycheck. Of mm. course, you know, everybody wants an upside. But, you know, they want something that is a little bit more, you know, tangible in terms of the purpose and, you know, what's the real reason why I'm, why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm. And, you know, kind of in response to your, um, you know, people moving around and people have been moving around for years. But it's just that, you know, nowadays, you know, after like probably like two years of COVID, people are a bit more, um, you know what, let's just like, Go out there and try something new. Let's just let's just not get bogged down by all these like you know travel restrictions and virus and whatever. But you know the the, the moving around has been happening, um, and it's happening like you notice more frequent than before. Mm. Um, I have seen quite a number of cross country uh, transfers, um, and these top level talent they don't want to be just restricted by one location. Some of them are very mobile. Some of them, you know, can be just like, you know, working in Vietnam. Next day, they'll be in Indonesia. Next day, they're going to be in Hong Kong. Next day, they're going to be in Dubai. So, you know, there's a lot of movements. And if you're talking about technical people, you know, in particular, for example, insurance, um, we talk about actuaries, um, you know, any people right now, like the data scientists and the data analytics folks, if they are really good with numbers, they can move to US, they can move to UK whenever there's an opportunity. Mm. Um, as long as they are good with it, as long as their family allow for it, they will go for it. Um, what I, the last thing that I want to mention is um, the, some of the top level people that I've been dealing with, they want to see more real things getting done rather than you know, just going into another organization where there's just a lot of talk and press conferences and, you know, like shows and, and whatever, but never get really, you know, real progress. Hmm. So that's a change. They're a lot fussier now. W when did that change happen? Was it COVID that has really sped up that change? Was it always there? Was it ongoing? At what point could you say, if you look back over the last 10 years, can you say at this point, these things really started to matter? Because, you know, purpose, I imagine for an actuary, purpose wasn't really high on the agenda, was it, until recently? So at what point did that happen? All respect to actuaries, by the way. But I'm yeah, just saying, we're respecting them. We're just respecting them. Yeah, you're like, you're like, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, some of them, they're still uh, doing what they're doing. Um, but, you know, not all of them are like that hmm. right now. Um, I would say from my own observation, it's just, and again, my own observations, because respecting there are, you know, other headhunters out there who have been doing this longer than I do. Um, the change that I started to see was around like actually four or five years ago, mm. right about when I was going to go out there and set up um, on my own. Um, you know, because... The, the thing is, you know, with these, with these industries that have been highly regulated um, by government, by regulatory bodies, and, you know, they are like strategic industries of a nation's 
you know, kind of like their national power, right? You know, finance and everything. Um, they have been kind of like really like just sit back and and observe all the changes and be really um, resisting to change for a lot of them. But you know, the millennial demand, the millennials' um, customers' experience and their expectation. And essentially, you know, our generation um, and the people younger than me who put a lot more emphasis on purpose, on ESG, on the social responsibility of, of these corporates, slowly have actually made an impact on these um, giants, so to speak. You know, because in the in the old days, they, they really don't need to change. I mean, when was the last time you expect insurance company to change their entire operations, right? I mean, mm. just renew your policy and then it just been the same old, same old. But right now, people are buying differently and things just happen differently as well. You know, you have different sort of accidents. For example, COVID, it's something that a lot of insurers never ex- expected. So how are you going to balance the, the um, profits and actually, you know, all the claims, right? And also be responsible and kind of answering your customers' demands. Hmm. Like, you know, one of the conversations I had recently, you know, we are dealing with customers who were born in this century. It's just kind of like the biggest change already, right? Mm. I mean, if you're born in 2000, you're right about kind of like leaving college by now, mm. you know, like, right? So, you know, how they expect their employers to behave and how they expect their peers to behave, it's just an entire kind of like paradigm shift from from before. I don't like the word use, uh, I don't like to use the word paradigm shift, but that is what it is right now. You've used it. Yeah, but <laughs> it, is, it. it is a shift. <laughs> it is. Yeah. How do they express that though? Do they come to you and say, yes, I want a good job, but I want to do meaningful work. Are these the words that they use? Do they say purpose? Do they say ESG? Because I imagine hirers, you know, talent managers, leaders of the hirers would know this, but do, does the talent, the people you deal with actually express it in that way? Or how do they talk about these things? Because they're sort of soft aspects of hiring and headhunting, aren't they? Which you don't necessarily fill a box with. How does that manifest? A lot of my candidates, now, although that I focus more on the senior level people now, um, it doesn't mean that I'm not aware of the fact that, you know, the younger folks these days, they would actually do a lot of research online and, you mm. know, kind of like in between, uh, between, within their peers on actually how the company is doing on different aspects. You know, when you're talking about ESG, then the DEI also comes into place, right? The first, mm. the equity and inclusion. How are they doing as an employer to include, you know, certain communities? Are they really doing what they're doing? Um, you know, am I seeing what they posted on social media really in line with actually what they do in reality? Now, there are th- th- this interesting observation. There are two kind of like almost two camps sometimes. And there are people out there who say, you know what, even though that I'm, I'm young, I don't really care. I just need a paycheck. Mm. But then you have more younger people who care about these things and they want employees to be accountable. And um, there are some of them who are like, you know what, I get it. This is corporate. You know, they just actually, you know, take some pictures, post it on social media, and that's it. They're not really doing the real deal. But then there are people out there who say, no, you know what, I, I, I would rather to work for a company that really like walk the talk. So the walk the talk demand has increased hmm. more than before. So, you know, you have companies out there who actually like take an extra mile and say, let me go hire someone with disability. 
and for real, put them in meaningful positions, not just ask them to do something like kind of like a my new kind of work, you know. So, and when you say, do I have people coming to say say meaningful? Yes, I've been hearing this actually for ten years. Across actually many different industries, across actually not just the um, technical positions, you know, there are people out there who will say, you know, I've been doing this for three years, and I don't really see the point of doing it. Actually, sometimes even for actors, because they'd be like, you know, there's the, there are a million different ways to calculate things. Do we need to actually go into that deep? Are we actually doing the work that really like mean what What does it mean for the for the entire company? And then you will see these people kind of like drifted and and leave eventually. Do you think they're making economic decisions about that? So you know, let's do it in U.S. dollar terms, for example. Let's say I'm earning, you know, maybe two hundred thousand a year in this role. Yeah. And there's this company which has much better track record with DE and I ESG. But the pay is less. Let's say it's one hundred and fifty thousand, which is not a lot for an actuary, to be honest. But let's just say, would they make an economic decision about that, or is it negotiable, or is it, you know, I would never go to a company that didn't have these values and this purpose. I wouldn't necessarily say that extreme. I wouldn't say that that extreme. But you know, people out there. They will still make the decision based on, you know, the number one, the room for career growth, mm. the boss they'll be working with, the pay. But on top of that, they're also asking for more. You know, is this company aligning with the values that I that I treasure? Now, again, not everyone is like that, but there is an increasing group of people who want to have that. Um, and another thing is actually not just about the ESG or the DEI. That's just part of it. The, the biggest change is actually people, they want to be satisfied in terms of learning and growing much mm. faster than before. So that's why some of my clients and say, oh my God, actually, uh, all these young people, they are hopping jobs real quick. And this is actually not in 2022. This has been happening for many years. But like, you know, with the younger generation, it seemed that you know, the rate has actually gone much quicker. It's just gone up. So what are mm. we doing to deal with it? Now, again, there's always outliers. Uh, I have a friend of mine who's the same age as me. Guess actually how long has been she staying with her current company? Mm. Surprised me. 10 years. Yeah, that's an outlier. My age, 10 years. But what has made her stay in the company is because she has been constantly promoted and move mm. around and do different things. So what I've seen is that if you actually want to stay, get kind of like retain somebody, <clears throat> it's the same old thing. You know, do they do do you give them room to grow? You know, mm. do you actually give them something valuable to do? And you know, is it kind of like in line with actually what they want out of their career? Um, all I'm saying is in the career conversations have gone different from before, you know, now, you know, in the past, it's like that performance appraisal, you remember Graham, right? Once a year performance appraisal and that's yeah. it. But yeah. right now it's ongoing conversations. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's harder now to gamify or cheat this reward or, you know, career progression for employees. You know, if you go back some years, Lorraine, if you think about, there was a lot of talk about gamifying 
um, careers or salary or the whole progression. And you would have employers create these environments for their people where, you know, you'd have the ball pit, you have free beer, you know, it would be a cool office and games. You have the football table and stuff like that, because that's what they thought would make people happy at work. But no, what, what you're saying is it. exactly. There's the meaning part is actually people are seeking out meaning and development, personal development. Like, will this be a place that I can grow? And will the people I work with support me in this as well? And that you can't cheat. You can't fake that. That comes out, doesn't it? That's the DNA of the organization. And no matter how much of a spin you put on it, that's who people really are. So I think this is, come, this is where we are right now is that people can actually see this and make decisions about these organizations and cultures and see them for what they really are. Yeah, because, you know, if you are not like, you know, paying people on time, if you are giving me all these ping pong balls and everything, but then the next day you announce like a massive redundancy without kind of any kind of previous warning, that's just not going anywhere. Mm. And plus, even if you give me a ping pong table, do you really allow your staff to play with it? That's another thing, right? Only on recruitment days, maybe. <laughs> Right? So I think what you're saying is like so spot on, Graham, because yeah. basically the thing is the, the fact that you have beer days, you have happy hours of the ping pong, whatever, is to create the environment where people can relax, can mm. mingle, and they can have bounce off ideas outside of their desk, which is actually literally good for your physical well-being. Now that you mm-hmm. know, we are in COVID, we're working from home, now that we miss, oh, you know what? Actually, taking a walk is really, really good. A simple thing can do wonders for our brain. It was exactly for, for that purpose. Hmm. But if you think that, oh, that's just simple, right? I mean, um, I you know put on something fancy out there, gamification, whatever, give you like a, a you know like ping pong and beer and whatever free beer, and that would help me to engage the young folks. No, because you can have it anywhere you want. And it's not that expensive either, but it's about actually what goes behind giving out these free perks. Mm, what mm. do you do? And people can feel your motivation and your purpose. And mm. I remember, you know, like a few months ago, I was working on this um, head of HR search and I asked the candidates, what is kind of the motivating you to come talk to me if you are happy with where you are? Because, you know, in my experience, if you're completely happy where you are, you wouldn't even pick up my phone. You mm. wouldn't even respond to my messages. And she's like, oh my God, you're the first headhunter that have ever asked me motivation. And I'm like, seriously? Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> I would have thought that would be in high. Why don't yeah. they ask that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And I'm like, uh, can you actually ask the headhunters of your book before and ask them why don't they ask you this? <laughs> I'll be interested to know. Right. But the thing is, it's about that, you know, go, going back to almost the, the really good, uh, boring academic stuff, but it still works. And the kind of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Yeah. Why are you doing this? Are you doing this for a show? Or are you doing this really because you want to, <clears throat> you know, care about employee mm. well-being? And, uh, and one thing um, probably before we go um, cover the topics is I think the biggest point, the problem is, and I have empathy with all these decision makers because I see that a lot of these um, decision makers, they're still like baby boomers or maybe Gen X. They really grow up in a different socioeconomic and cultural context from, mm. from where we are. Um, 
getting satisfaction in terms of their job and economic satisfaction was really simple for them, right? You get a big paycheck, you get mm-hmm. a big bonus, you buy a big house, buy nice cars. Anywhere in Asia, you're good. You are deemed successful. But right now, you know, for, for my generation and people younger than me, and because actually I'm starting to work with a lot more younger people on my, on my own team as well, I see that, you know, it's not that they don't care about the paycheck. Mm. It's not that they don't care about your working environment, but they really want to know why you're doing this. That's a simple question, going back to the purpose thing. And it's more about the self-actualization sometimes. And then when I'm trying to get this across to the hirer in some of these, the older generations, they can't really get it yet. That's why you see why they're doing all these gamifications mm. and you know, like putting out free beer upon. They thought they have done it, tick the box, but they don't really get what's actually driving us behind. So that's the thing. Mm. Another thing is sometimes when people hear all these like free perks and you know, like really groovy working culture, um, especially from American tech firms, they only take that surface part without really understanding the entire systematic um, structure and the build out of it. For example, I was sharing with, uh, with this leadership principle over my um, well-being webinars earlier this year. Why do we see the traditional American tech firms even offer you washing machine and got you, you know, like space to do yoga whenever you want to? It's because, you know, they really need you to work on a lot of like squeezing out of your brain juice product projects and innovations and whatever and research. And, you know, we are human beings, you know, we can only stay focused, you know, laser focused for a certain amount of time during a day. And afterwards, you do need to get some rest. That's why they let you to do it. That's why they're like, you know what, this is good for the company. I'll let you do whatever you do. And then you come back. The engineers, you can come back and work on your um, own thing. So for the other side of the hires, what I see is they didn't understand this part. They didn't understand why they're doing this. So that's why they either reject the idea totally or they just like, oh, Graham, this is another yoga class. This is another yeah. well-being webinar. This is going to be good for you. And then you'll be like, if you kind of like take it out of the context, this is the thing. If you take it out of the context, you are not doing any good for your employees. Actually, you're doing harm. Yeah, very insightful. We've talked about the decision makers, the hirers, who maybe there's some generational challenges there as well, the ones that don't get it, but obviously there are ones that do get it as well. And an increasing number, as I suppose, younger people move up into those positions as well. Let's talk about the decisions on the other side, which are as important. That's the decisions made by the hired, the headhunted. And mm. There's a lot going on there, which as well, we're having to adapt. We're having to evolve. You talk about, for example, you know, the decision-making for hiring for the hirer was very simple for generations. It was offer a good package, salary, stable job, you know, perks, insurance, etc. And yet now for the hired there is a change. So many of them probably are still approaching the process as they would have done years ago. So if you're top level talent and you're interested in moving, you're interested in 
swapping up, moving to a company with more purpose or something that makes you feel more rewarded or a higher salary, whatever it may be, whatever your goals are, your motivations. It's no use simply doing what we used to do 10, 20 years ago in the job search. So we need to know what's changed. And maybe we can talk about what's the old fashioned way of doing the job search from the talent side, traditionally, what would they do? And then why that doesn't work anymore? Yeah, this is a very good question because, and I shared this in my own videos recently as well. Um, a lot of candidates that come to me and ask me, um, I was applying jobs on social media platforms. I was applying jobs on different job search sites. Uh, and I got no results. It's been very poor. And then the, the obvious answer is because you are just one of the out of the many in the entire pool. So how do you stand out in such a crowded place, especially for regular corporate functions like, you know, HR and marketing and IT, uh, you know, because if you are a technical person, like, you know, actually for insurance companies, engineer for, you know, a power plant, that's a different story, right? But if you're just like, you are in a regular corporate function, then you're just like any other person in another industry. You're competing with them. So a lot of these um, folks, what I see is that when they reach to a certain level, they are still using the same mentality and approach when they were searching 10 years ago or 20 years ago when they were younger. Hmm. So in one side, they know that their mindset have to be changed and have to be adapted to the latest technological changes and uh, uh, hiring practices, whatever, they're willing to adapt, they're willing to use it, for example. But when it comes to their own job search, interestingly, they're still using the same old method. So obviously, you're not going to get any results because you know the world has changed and you're still using the way that you used to do things 10 years ago. Now, the reason, one of the reasons why they're doing this is a lot of them a uh, very common reason is they've been staying in the company for too long. That's very obvious because they don't need to find a job. The second is um, some of these people, when they change jobs, uh, it's mostly, mostly by referral. So they got a job because they know someone else. The, the previous boss asked them to join them. So they don't even need to go search on their own. So when you ask them to build something on their own, they're like clueless. Mm. They don't know what to do. No experience. They're like, yeah, yeah, no experience. They're just like casting out a wide net. Hmm. But then, you know, these days is about being focused and being niche and understanding what you can bring to the table and what you cannot bring to the table. Um, just before another, we talk about what what is that, what, yeah. what would they do? Would they write their CV resume, then contact 100 people on LinkedIn, send it to them, wait for a response? Is that what the old approach would have been or is it different? Yeah, yeah it, would have, it would have been that way. And then I, I still constantly receive random messages and uh, connection requests out of nowhere and say, oh, I want to change. I, mm. I want to move to another country. And then I'll be like, okay, so what is your credentials? What is your background? What's your experience? What makes other people want to hire you in the first place? And just because you have 20 years under your belt doesn't necessarily guarantee you anything because there are 100 people out there who also have 20 years under the belt mm. and who might have actually bigger exposure. So what makes you special? So a lot of the people, they forgot to kind of like um, pave their own way. The 
phrase that come to my mind is they actually don't know. And Graham, this might be to surprise you. They actually don't know how to manage the career move by design. Mm. They are managing their entire career by default. Oh, yeah. I got made redundant. Oh, I got a new boss I don't like. Oh, I didn't get the promotion. Let me go find a hundred headhunters and find me the next C whatever old mm. job that I want to get. And then I'll be like, well, you're looking for C three kind of role. How many C three are going to be out there? You kind of like, you gotta actually be strategic about the whole thing. You know, it's not you're not hiring. You know, you're not looking for another like manager level position. So this is actually the problem. A lot of the people they're just waiting for things to happen. Mm. You know, corporate headhunters. If Lorraine doesn't have anything, call another one. Oh, I bet, you know, if I call five or six, down the line, I'm going to get something. But really, in these days, is this something that is really kind of like coming, coming your way? Is this something that you really like, like by you? Is it really a good platform? Is it a good, a good choice? So I see that a lot of people, they were climbing uphill from 20, 22 to like 35. And then they reach a plateau and mm. they just stayed there and even go downhill. They either work for smaller and smaller corporates of, let's say, tier three, tier four, no longer, no longer the tier one, tier two that they worked for before, or they just are not really learning anything new in the current role. They might have a very big title, very big paycheck, but if you drill deep and if you ask anyone in the industry, they would know that actually the job duties is actually not that amazing. Hmm. So how can you actually enhance your you know, hiring ability, right? In terms of other people's eyes, because when you reach certain level of salary, you need to manage people's perception. That's why you need to manage your entire career move by design and not by default. Mm. And then some of the things is that actually, if you don't want to climb up the ladder to use the metaphor used by, um, you know, um, Sheryl, uh, Sheryl Sandberg, you're climbing the jungle gym. You can mm. go horizontal. You don't need to go by vertical. And I always like to ask my candidates, hey, if you actually cannot get that top job in your organization, what's next for you? And then you'll be surprised. Nine out of 10, they cannot answer me. Huh. Oh, I'll just find another organization then. And I'm, but what if actually they're just, they're all healthy. They're not moving anywhere. What are you going to do if you really want to be where you want to be? Never thought about it. This is what they've successfully applied in the past though by default isn't it because they yes. bumped into something else or they yep. got a call you know the ex-boss has moved to another company exactly. and need you to, by default isn't it you're relying on the inbound i like this idea of by design it's a conscious decision isn't it and you're talking about exactly. managing perceptions which i guess if you're a, a talented and successful careerist you know and you've got the experience and you've reached your way to that top of that hill um, managing perceptions might be an interesting challenge because you might be good at everything apart from that. You might not have had to do that ever. It's almost exactly. like I'm having to sell myself or I'm having to brand myself. Exactly. Normally my companies speak for themselves or, you know, my PhD, my MBA, yeah. Stanford, yeah. you know, it, these speak for themselves. Now I've got to talk in different terms. What is this about? What is by design and what is the managing perception part? By design, meaning it doesn't have to be, oh, uh, this is the exact steps that I need to take 
mm. if I want to get the top drop. Because we know nowadays, even if I design the entire menu SOP, you might need to just like throw it down the toilet for other reasons, right? Just looking mm. at what happened to us for the last uh, three to four years. But what I mean by design is at least be conscious every year within themselves what they have actually achieved or learned comparing from last year. And if they want to get to top job or just stay the same or stay competitive, right? Because when we talk about career development here, it's very interesting. Not everybody needs to be the CEO or C minus one. They can be the most, you know, they can be the best senior manager or whatever that is, one level below department head, and they can be successful. That's fine. But it doesn't mean that they don't need to learn anything new or kind of like unlearn something that I've done in the past. Now, by design is meaning be conscious. And I like, yeah, thank you, Graham, for using the word conscious. By actually aware, being aware mm. of what you need to unlearn, what you need to relearn, and what you need to learn if you want to stay in your current industry, in your current job function. And what if actually one day you know that somehow you want to leave your current industry and current organization, want to do something new? What is it that you want to do right now that can get you prepared? Hmm. Now, by design, I like to use the metaphor of like Olympic athletes. Well, of course, everybody knows, right? I mean, you cannot guarantee that you're going to get a gold medal, but you're going to be designing actually your own exercising routine. You're going to be fine tuning your diet and everything so that you can actually stay the best shape and your top form when you go into the arena, right? That's my mean by by design. Hmm. You don't just go out there and wing it and say, oh, you know, I got this perfect uh, batch on my CV, right? I work for this Fortune 500. It speaks for itself. Everybody should come hire me. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work that anymore because mm. what works for this organization doesn't work for another one for sure these days. Um, and people need to be very mindful of the fact that nowadays, for example, um, I can use the, the neighbor that I'm having right now across my, my room. You guys also have Oatly, the mm. oat milk in Singapore, right? Yeah. Guess how many people in Oatly, Hong Kong office? Now, no. <laughs> shut no up, man. Of course, they have, a, they have someone. Come on. Now, they came from Sweden to Hong Kong four years ago, right? Mm. Around four people. Four years onwards. They are in Starbucks. They are in Pacific Coffee. I know bakery shop. They're using the oatmeal to make all the bread and cakes and whatever. Still six or seven people. Well, Basically, they are the marketers. They are the designers. Mm. They are the partnership. They are the sales. An office of six to seven people can talk to big corporates. Now, a lot of my traditional corporate candidates and clients, they still don't understand because especially financial services, it's been very precise. And, you know, you, mm. have, you have basically someone to do just one job, right? But the world is changing. You have people that can actually wear many hats. Mm. And guess what? They're not asking for astronomical amount of money. So when you reach that level, are you that capable? Are you that competitive? What value can you add? that these people cannot give, right? Mm. A lot of these people, a lot of my, my senior candidates, they're, they're still not being aware of it. They just think like, you know what, Graham, 
I got 25 years on my CV. I mm. work for this big cop, A, B, C, and D. I should be there. My, my perfect example is one of my candidates, no kidding. Three months in the job, he's like, this is not something that I need to do. I'm very senior. This is something actually like too piecemeal for me. Why am I actually need to talk to all these local countries, working yeah. with them on projects? And then I'm like, no, the more senior you are, the more humble you have to be. Yeah, that's difficult. That's the unlearning oh, yeah. part, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've heard people say, I've, I've sat with people and in business and they said, you know, I didn't do an MBA to talk to customers. I'm like, wow. You know, that kind of mindset, it, it's part of the system, isn't it? But that's why you need somebody to poke you, to pull you, to push you a little bit in the skills department to coach you in a way and say, look, that's not how it works anymore. You know, the best leaders are out there walking the floor. You know, they're talking to people, they're leading by example, they're getting insights. That's what it is to be a leader now. And I love this idea of being aware of the learning as well, that, that you know, you talk about Oatly as an example, I'm sure that's a huge learning experience for those guys. You know, the kind of things you'd learn with multiple hats if you like, you'd learn everything about a business and how rewarding and challenging that would be as well. And it's easy to measure salary. It's easy to measure a title. It's easy to measure the size of the budget you control, which yeah. in many ways were measures of success, weren't they? You know, it, it, that was a mark of how well you've done. But it's hard to measure learning because it kind of was a thing that happened as a byproduct of all of that. But now what you're saying is you've got to put that front and center and be aware of it, both for the hired and the hirers as well, because yeah. that is actually, whilst you might not be able to measure it in zeros and ones, you, like you say, if you look at it year by year, you can measure progression for sure. And then, you know, going back to this athlete, example, like the Olympics, these guys, you know, they train four to six years in cycles, right? They're thinking that far ahead. You know, I'm training four years. It's all planned out and they're mapping it out and they're thinking about, I need to get to this stage, this stage, this stage. It doesn't happen by default for sure. It's very much by design. It's, I guess, gonna, it's challenging. That's the the challenge is there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to take on board and it can be very overwhelming and confusing for people in this space. And obviously that's why we need people like you to guide them as well in this process, not just headhunting, but you're also coaching and advising these people on what to do best. I really want to, you know, I'm conscious of the time. There's a question I want to ask you about women and, and leadership and hiring and being hired as well. I'm curious, is this particularly a challenge for women? Um, you know, because the, you know, we all know there aren't enough women in leadership roles. Um, and it's a lot easier for a man to stand up on stage and, you know, personal branding comes a lot easier because, you know, when they grow up, they're less likely to be criticized I'm allowed to sort of play with the, the sharp objects, if you like. But for women, it's a lot harder. I'm not saying it should be, but that's how it is. So what's your observation of women candidates as well when it comes to, you know, the top levels? 
do they find it harder to do this? Do they find it harder to manage perceptions? Or do they naturally find this easier than men? That's an interesting question. Um, and my answer might surprise a lot of people. I haven't come across any women telling me that they find it hard to climb to the top. But I can share with you a lot of them, um, they still have certain level of insecurity or impressions about how they should behave as a senior corporate executive. Um, again, it goes back to the generational differences and mm. expectations and everything. Um, and I know that for certain level of senior women executives, um, depending on the age group, they might be very scared of what might come next, you know, when they get older, right? Mm. Because they have worked so hard to climb to the top. So, you know, what if, you know, they cannot take it any longer because of the physical demands, right? You know, at, at one point, both men and women, we're going to go into menopause, right? Mm. So what what's going to happen? So there is still this kind of like fear of uncertainty because I haven't experienced it yet. Um, and it comes with very um, personal conversations. Um, but not every single woman is going to be, you know, super uh, anxious about this. Um, what I see is actually a lot more women out there. They are being more outspoken mm. and they are being more assertive and building really meaningful communities so that actually they can help up each other to climb to the top, to overcome any imposter syndrome, talk about personal branding. Mm. Um, there are a lot more workshops out there. Um, you know, over here in Hong Kong, we have, uh, you know, like women in financial services, you know, women in financial um, associations. We have like women of Hong Kong communities that just support one another. Um, and then the bonding and the energy is just amazing. So there are a lot more people out there who are sort of coming forward and saying, hey, you know, we can also do this. Um, and also there are more male allies right now. Um, and like I wrote on LinkedIn a few months ago, I think in three years time, the conversation should be stopped at hmm. female leaders or male allies. It should be just leader and allies. Yeah, yeah. We know when we get to that point, we've done it. But until yeah. that point, we still need to talk about it. We're not quite there <laughs> yeah. yet, are we? That's yeah. especially generational as well. I imagine, you know, as as they become more successful and the older they are, these become more of an issue as well. That, you know, the generational perceptions of women in positions of power or leadership are different. That's changing for the better, obviously. And, but it's not just women. I mean, men as well and across all generations. And that's why we need to have these conversations, open conversations, Lorraine, which hopefully today was and very frank and helpful as well. I'm sure people will be thinking after listening to this is that, they will want to message you on LinkedIn and say, Lorraine, I want to change, you know, rather than let's have that, let's kind of <laughs> help them help themselves a little bit here. Yeah. If I'm thinking I'm in this position, you know, firstly, at what point should I be thinking or having this conversation first? Because, you know, maybe I'm not ready yet. Is there a point at which I'm ready to have this conversation with you? You know, is it the point where I've had enough? <laughs> Or is it the point where I'm just having an idea about, you know, maybe something different? When is that a good point? And then also when I get to that point, how do I start that conversation? What do I do? Do I send a CV or do I, you know, pick up the phone? What are the best steps? So let's talk about at what point should I, as a candidate, as somebody who wants to change, start having the conversation? 
I would say the number one thing is this person has to believe in self-investment, first and foremost, self-investment. Um, not just, you know, oh, what is the next Bitcoin to buy, right? Not just, mm. which, you know, not just like, which is the next property market to invest in, but, you know, investing in yourself. Because the number one successful trade that I see in all my senior leaders, uh, whether it's the hires or the candidate, is they, they invest in a lot in themselves. Mm. Number one. Number two, um, they have to realize that they want to change and have the will to change. Because if the will is not there, there's nothing that can be done, right? I mean, if you have no will and there's no skill, that's just like, I, I'm, not, I'm not there for you yet, right? right. So you got to have some will, but, you know, if you kind of like figure it out, you just go back to skill will matrix, right? If you have mm. a high will and no skill, I can help you. If you have a high will and high skill, I can also help you. That's actually when coaching comes in, but you have no will and no skill, that's something very tricky. Yeah. Good. That's helpful to know. That will pre-qualify. <laughs> that will scare off a few people, but that's what you want, isn't it? Not everybody values yeah. the investment. And we all know this. I mean, especially the older you become, the more you realize, I wish I had invested more in myself when I was younger. Yeah. But obviously, that's wisdom, isn't it? So that self-investment and understanding that this is part of the journey, not just finding the next job, but the whole process, investing in yourself, managing the perceptions, building, you know, your career by design as well, which, you know, you're not doing it for the next year or two. You're doing it for a lifetime, effectively. So you're yeah. there to help. Where do people reach out to you and what are the best circumstances in which you can help people? So let's talk about where people can find you first, Lorraine. Where do I go? Uh, well, they can find me on LinkedIn for sure. Mm. Um, and then we are launching something big in two weeks. Mm. So they can start subscribing to our insights articles and watch our pre-workshop preparation uh, videos and come to our monthly workshops where um, the first one is exactly on actually managing your career move um, by design, not by default. So right. we're going to talk about the you know, differences between, you know, let's say, you know, Hong Kong dollars, 1.5 million basic salary. And Hong Kong dollars, 3 million basic salary. What's the difference in that? And what's the difference between you know, someone making a Hong Kong dollars, 3 million technical as subject matter experts and a C-suite? Mm. What, what are the differences? What should people be looking for? And how should they be prepared so they can have choices? Because the key here is choices. Choices. Mm. Um, they can then also kind of like subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are uploading our new videos. So we've just finished revamping and adding uh, some of the English subtitles to our Cantonese videos. Some of them are in English already, so I'm not worried about it. But for the Cantonese speaking videos, because we have regional fans who don't speak my language, so I'm adding back the English subtitles. They can go there. Um, they just need to stay tuned. It's not that difficult to find me. But hmm. it's, again, making that decision of, you know, what they actually want out of their life. And are they actually willing to commit? Hmm. Yeah, I think if somebody's there, then the best action point for them is to reach out to you or at least find out what you're doing in terms of workshops and content out there. That's a good, I know you write a lot as well. You put a lot of content out there, the videos as well. Find out a bit more about you and then just reach out, start that process, start that conversation. 
and you're very generous with your time as well. You're happy to help people and he's point them in the right direction, even if they're not ready yet, or maybe it's not right time for them yet, or because that process may be a long process for them, right? They may not be wanting to move right here, right now, but they may be on that journey and it may be happening months, maybe even next year. So, but that process needs to start. So reach out to Lorraine and tell her that you heard this conversation as well. Lorraine, really nice speaking to you. Let's give them the website address before you go. We'll put it in the show notes anyway, but for those who are listening only, maybe they want to look you up through that. Do you want to give a shout out to the website? I know they can find you on LinkedIn, obviously, but website as well. Sure. Ascensionassociates.com with a hyphen in between Ascension and Associates. Simple. <laughs> Excellent. Or Lorraine, Lorraine Chang. Yeah. On LinkedIn <laughs> as well. Lorraine, very nice speaking to you and very insightful as well. Really interested to hear your thoughts as well about how that market is changing and also what people need to do about themselves. It's great actually, because I think people just kind of get stuck in what has worked for the last 10 years, 20 years. And even though we're very aware of change around us, actually changing ourselves is probably the hardest part. But today hopefully was a bit of inspiration as well. And hopefully as you are out there more talking about hiring and talking about leadership and talking about skills and you know, managing those perceptions. People learn a bit more about you as well. So it'd be great to be, you know, on that journey with you and sort of discover as you're growing as well and learn a little bit about how you got into this space as well. So I'm sure people are interested in that. So stay tuned for more from Lorraine. Lorraine, thank you very much today. Sure, Graham, you are the best. You've been listening to the XL Podcast with me, Graham Brown. To subscribe and discover more conversations, go to www.xlpodcast.org.